John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 56. If you're watching at home, grab your Bible, get your notebook, get ready. It's going to be a good day. I hope you're experiencing the presence of God as we are today. I hope God has blessed your life. I know that he wants to. John chapter 8, verse 56. Still hear a few pages turning. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You'd be surprised. It's not funny. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, chapter 8, verse 56. If you're there, say amen. amen. Let's three, read three verses here. Did I say verse 58 or 56? Okay. All right, just making sure. Second service, I get my numbers confused sometimes. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. These are the words of Jesus speaking. But they respond to him, the Jews did. You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. This is a very interesting scripture here, because I want you to note these two little words, I am. The first thing that Jesus does is he says, Abraham... Your father Abraham. Now there's thousands of years between the time that Abraham died and Jesus is making this statement. There's thousands of years. Jesus says, your father Abraham saw my day and rejoiced and, and he was glad. He is saying, I have seen Abraham. This blows the mind of the Jews because they, they say, you're not even 50. As a matter of fact, Jesus was about 31, maybe 32 at this point. And they say, how can you see Abraham? He died thousands of years ago. But Jesus makes a very important statement here. He says, surely I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. These two little words, I am, are incredibly important. They're actually a Greek translation of original Hebrew words that were spoken in the Old Testament. The Greek, it's said like this, ego emi, or ego am I, two words. And so what they literally mean and what they literally stand for is, or translate to, is the self-existent one. The one who needs no one else in order to survive. He just is. And so here's the statement that Jesus makes because it's the same exact phrase that was spoken when Moses was walking in the backside of the desert and he sees a bush on fire but it's not being consumed and suddenly a voice starts speaking out of the bush and he tells Moses, go back and deliver my people. And Moses says, well, when I go, who do I tell them that sent me? A burning bush? And the bush or the voice speaks to him and says, tell them that I am sent you. Tell them that ego am I sent you. So now Jesus is making a pretty um, big statement. This flies in the face of the Jewish people whom he's talking to right here. And he says, listen, I want you to understand something. I'm not just Jesus. I'm not just the son of a carpenter. I'm not just the son of Mary. No, but actually 
the same God that you have been worshiping since the days of Abraham. Since God said to Abraham, I am. And since God spoke to Moses, that was actually me speaking to Moses out of the burning bush. This is a big statement by Jesus. Because he is now claiming to be deity. He is claiming to be God himself. He is claiming to be the same God that these Jews have been worshiping since the days of Abraham. They don't like it. The Bible teaches in the next few verses, they actually pick up stones and get ready to stone him because of this assertion that he is making. But Jesus slipped away out through the midst of them in the, in the confusion, I don't know how he did it, but somehow in this miracle, he slipped out because it wasn't his time yet. I want to begin a series today that will take us up and uh, possibly through Easter. And it's just simply called, I Am. Who is Jesus really? The disciples and the Jews thought they knew, but Jesus dropped this bomb on them and said, no. I am, ego am I, the same God that you've been worshiping. So I want to begin this series today. And we're going to go through the seven, what are referred to as the I am statements in the book of John. Christ makes seven statements. I am this, I am that. Each one of them exposes a portion of his character as God. Even each one of them show, uh, exposes a piece of his purpose on, while he was on earth. And each one of them exposes a part of what he wants to do in your life and the relationship that he wants to have with you. So we're going to begin a series today. I am. Why don't we pray before we begin? Father, I thank you for your presence here today. I thank you for all that you've already done. I believe that you've done great things in our worship service I think you. I believe that you've done great things in our altar service today, Lord God. And I believe that you're going to continue to speak to us. Open up the scripture today. Open our hearts, our minds, and our spirits to hear from you and to be challenged by the power of your word. I thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Flip back over. We're going to go to the first I am statement of Jesus. We find it in John the sixth, the sixth chapter. John chapter 6. Before we get to it, let me give you some backstory. Jesus, in the first verse, the first few verses of John chapter 6, does this incredible miracle where he actually takes five loaves of bread and two little fish and he breaks them and he gives them to the disciples. And as the disciples give them away, it is multiplied as they give it away. And he literally feeds with just this little bitty, uh, this little bitty happy meal, he feeds... 5,000 men plus women and children, somewhere between 12 and 15,000. Some people say even up to 20,000 people he fed and then had more left over than he ever started with. Absolutely astounding miracle that Jesus does. That evening, he puts his disciples on a boat and he says, go to the other side, go to Capernaum. And Jesus goes up to the mountain to pray because he sensed and he knew that the, the people were wanting to make him king. And he knew he didn't want to be their king because they were just going after the, the miracles. They were just going after him providing for them. Because in their mind was, listen, if this guy can provide us food that we don't have to work for, 
and all we got to do is just follow this guy around, and he's going to provide all our needs, then we want to make him king and let him just do that. Then we don't have to do anything. But Jesus said, no, 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 that's not the kind of kingdom I'm setting up here. I am king, but I'm not that kind of king. I'm not trying to overthrow the Romans. So he said, listen, uh, disciples, you go across. Uh, I'll meet you on the other side. So they go. The storm blows in. Jesus sees them in the storm a few miles out. And the Bible teaches that Jesus actually walked on the water, walked up to the boat. Peter gets out of the boat. He walks on the water. And then when, he got, when Jesus got in the boat with them, the Bible says that immediately they were the other side. Incredible miracles that happened and several incredible miracles that happened in the context of this story. But that's not the sermon today because we pick up the next morning. The next morning, the people that had just been fed, they wake up and they're looking for Jesus because they're hungry. Because the bread that he fed them yesterday isn't carrying them today. It's not enough. So they need more. So they're looking for Jesus. Where is Jesus? Jesus is gone. Well, he didn't leave with the disciples. Where did he go? Well, Jesus just walked across the lake. He didn't, take, he didn't need a boat. Jesus doesn't need a boat. I'm going to go. So he takes off walking across the lake. So they start going in their boats and they go looking for him. They show up in Capernaum and they find Jesus. And now they want to talk to Jesus. And, and as we pick up in the 22nd verse, we find them saying, Jesus, where did you go? We've been looking everywhere for you. And when you first read, it sounds so sincere. Man, they really love Jesus. They're looking for him. They want to find him. But Jesus sees the truth in their heart. We pick up in verse 26. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. So he says, listen, guys, you're looking for the food that perishes. He sets up this deal and he says, there's food that perishes. That's what I gave you yesterday. That's why you're hungry again and you're looking for more. But there's also food that will last. And that's what I want to give you is food that will last. But I want you to note something he says in verse 26. You seek me not because you saw the signs. Depending on what your versions you're reading, it may say not because you saw the miracles, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Jesus is going to teach us a very important principle here about the sign. The word miracle or the word sign here is translated in the Greek, semeon, and it literally means something that points to something else, a thing that directs you to something bigger. So here's what Jesus says You are looking for me. Not because you got the sign, but because I fed you. You partook of the miracle, but you didn't get the sign. You see, here's the truth. The miracle was not the destination. The miracle was the sign that pointed them to the destination. Think about this in your life. I believe in a God that does miracles, but miracles are not God's destination. They're the sign. So for Jesus, it's like this. Imagine with me, if you will... If you lived in Lake Charles and your family is going to go on a family vacation. Ryan, you got me that picture ready? Here you are. You got your old school station wagon loaded up? Old school. 
You got your gear on the top and you're ready to go. Now, imagine you want to go on vacation down on the Rio Grande in El Paso. So you load your car up, you load your kids up, you load your family up, you get everybody in there, you got your 8-track player and you're ready to go. And you take off towards down I-10 West and you're headed that way and you cross the border into Texas and you see a sign that says Beaumont X number of miles, El Paso, something like 852 miles. How many of you have seen that sign? You pull over to the side of the road right by the sign. You get your kids out. You start unloading the station wagon. Your kids say, what are we doing, Dad? And you say, we're here. We made it. This doesn't look like El Paso. Oh, but the sign says it's El Paso. We're here. And you start. So you, you're, you're getting your camera out. And you're like, where'd my camera go? Who's got my phone? Somebody bring me my phone. I'm going to need it later. You're taking pictures. You're wave flagging somebody down on I-10. Hey, I need you to pull over and help me. They pull over. Are you hurt? Are you broken? No, 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 no. Can you hold your camera? We're on vacation in El Paso. Can you take a picture of us? And they're like, sure. <laughs> kind of like I was with the guy in my truck, right? Whatever it takes, just get, get me back on the road and out of here, right? I- imagine how absurd that would be. Your kids are like, what are we, where's the Rio Grande, Daddy? Uh, I don't know. I think that's it right over there. No, that looks like a bayou. <laughs> Because the sign is not the destination. The sign is the thing that points you to where you're going. You're on the right right way. Keep driving down this road. If you stay on I-10, you will get there. It points you to where you're going. This is what Jesus says. The miracle that I did, guys, was not the end of the whole thing. The miracle that I did was to point you to something else. Okay? Well, they, the, the, the Jews, they still don't get it. The, the disciples sitting there, they still don't get it. So here's their question in verse 28. What shall we do that we may work the works of God? What shall we do? Now, there's two words that we translate as work in the scripture. Work and then the plural form works. But actually in the Greek, they mean two different things. The first one that we would say is singular Uh, actually means to do or to work or the action of doing something. So the second one, though, means something very different. The second one refers to the business of something. So here's actually how to understand what what Jesus is saying or or the question that they're asking is this. Jesus, what should we do so that we could do the business of God? Are you with me? Jesus is about to answer the question, but it's going to open up your mind to something. I'm going to challenge your thinking. Just get ready. Next verse, Ryan, verse 29. Here's Jesus' answer. Their question is, what do we do? How do we do these miracles? What is the formula for these miracles so that we can please God? Jesus answers, this is the work of God. The word work he uses here is the same word that means business. So Jesus isn't even addressing the signs or the things that they do or the miracles. He's going to address the business. Jesus says, this is the business of God, that you believe in him who sent me. Let me rephrase that. Back that up. Let me say it again. That you believe in him who he sent. So he's saying that you believe in God and you believe in me. So here's the business that Jesus is in. And and, and I'm just going to challenge you right up front. Jesus is telling us, I am not in the miracle business. 
I'm in the believing business. We say all the time, I've said it, God is in the miracle working business. Not really. God does miracles, but he does them for a reason. He loves doing miracles. It's not that he doesn't want to do miracles. He loves doing miracles. I believe he does them all the time, but he's not in the miracle working business. What he's actually in is the believing business. Challenge, I told you I was going to challenge your thinking just a little bit. I'm going to mess with you a little bit, but, but I'm just, this is just what Jesus said. Now, I'm not making this up. Imagine this. Imagine if I was in the car business. I want to build and sell cars. In order to do that, I have to also be able to do upholstery work so I can make you some seats. I have to be able to do some metal work so I can build the frame of the car. I got to be a painter so I can paint the car. I, I've got to be able to build an engine so you can actually make the car drive. I, I've got to put wheels and tires on this thing. So once you've got the engine going, it'll actually go somewhere, right? Now, I am not in the tires and wheel business, but I have to have them because it helps me sell a vehicle. How many of you would buy a vehicle with no wheels on it? You couldn't even put wheels on it. You can't, there's, just, there's no axle on it. It's a great engine, and it looks beautiful, but there's no wheels on it. You're like, I'm not buying that thing. Because wheels help you sell a car. The last truck that I had that God blessed me with, um, it, had, it had 22s on it, man. <sighs> they were fine. I love my current truck, but the only thing I miss that I don't have in this truck is those wheels, man. It was beautiful. I'm just going to reminisce for a moment. Just, just walk with me for a second. Man, I love those wheels. And I'm telling you what, they made that truck look sharp. How many of you like putting some nice wheels on your vehicle? Car dealers do this oftentimes. They will put some upgraded wheels on it. They'll put some more expensive tires on it because they want to entice you to buy that car. So get a picture of this now. Now, Ford is not in the wheel and the tire business, but they have them to help you buy the car. Here's what Jesus is saying. I'm not in the miracle business, but I do miracles all the time so that you would believe because I am in the business of selling Jesus to you. God is in the business of selling Jesus. He wants you to believe in Jesus. So if you'll buy Jesus, what is it going to take for you to, what is it going to take for you to buy Jesus? Well, you're going you're to have to do some miracles for us, Jesus. Okay, I'll do miracles, but at the end of the day, I'm doing the miracles, not just to do the miracles, but I'm doing the miracles so that you'll believe in me. God is in the believing business. Okay. Now, Jesus begins to talk about, uh, he, he begins to talk with them now about, um, uh, about this issue of, these, of the miracles, of the business that he's in. And, and it's important because Jesus knows that these people, these disciples would follow him anywhere as long as he's doing miracles. But what happens when he stops doing miracles? This is why the, the sign is the miracles, but the destination is not. Because if the, if the destination were miracles, we would follow Jesus as long as he was doing things for us. But what happens when he doesn't do something for us? Do we give up on God? Or do we still believe? Remember, Jesus is in the believing business. So they push harder. What sign, what work will you do to make us believe then? Because Moses, you remember, gave us bread to eat. He's referring back to the book of Exodus when they didn't have enough food to eat out in the desert so manna was provided from heaven 
But they get it wrong. They said, Moses gave us food to eat. But the truth is, and Jesus corrects them, he says, Moses didn't give you manna. Moses didn't give you bread. God gave you bread. Now, this is a typical human response because here's what we do. God does something for us. So the first time we tell the story, God did it. The second time we tell the story, God empowered us to do it. The third time we tell the story, we did it, but God helped a little bit. And the last time we tell the story, we did it. We write God out of the story. This is a problem. You don't want to write God out of the story uh, because you'll forget what he's done for you. And when you forget what he's done for you, you forget that in Revelation, the 12th chapter, the 11th verse, he says that we have overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. So there's a power, and when you believe it, and when you speak it, and when you declare the works of the Lord, what he's done in your life, there's a power in this thing where it helps you to overcome the next thing that you're going through. So here's the principle. Don't write God out of the story because the next time you're going through a storm, the next time you're in trouble, the next time you're needing something, you'll be wondering, can God even help me? And he'll be saying, hey, I've been doing things all your life, but you keep writing me out of the story. The word of our testimony gives us strength and courage. It gives us power to overcome. It, it, It gives us the will to keep moving. We realize that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Don't write God out of your story. Well, let's move forward. So God gave them bread. And now Jesus says that he's giving them true bread. True means not only name and resemblance, but real in the nature that corresponds to the name. I'm giving you something genuine. I'm giving you something to last. I'm giving you something that gives life and vitality. And in verse 34, they say, we want it. We've got to have this bread. We need it right now. Because why is it that when we're hungry, we think that food will solve all of our problems? Every time I have a problem, I go, when I, especially when I was younger, you know, I'd go to my mom's house and I'd be talking to my mom about my problem, talking to my grandma about my problem. What's the first thing they do? Just sit down and eat you something, baby. Everything will be all right. That food ain't going to help me at all. But somehow, man, I start eating and I start feeling better. We, we get this idea that food solves all our problems. So they're, they're still getting this thing wrong. They're thinking, okay, Jesus, you can give us a bread that we can eat at one time and we never have to worry about eating again because we're good forever. And Jesus is like, no, you're not getting this thing right yet again. Verse 35, he makes his first statement. Here it is. I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. And he who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Important statement. Here's what he says. This bread that I've been talking to you about, this bread that if you eat of it, you'll never hunger again. It will satisfy you. This bread, I am that bread. Well, then he goes on in the next few verses to give us five benefits of the bread of life. The first one is in verse 35. He said, you'll never hunger or thirst. The first benefit of the bread of life is he perfectly satisfies our spiritual hunger. The second one, verse 37, he said, one who comes, for everyone who comes will not be cast out. The second benefit is this, God, Jesus will receive all who come to him. It doesn't matter who you are or where you've been, Jesus will receive you and give you the bread of life. Verse 38, he said, not to do my will, but his will. 
The third uh, benefit is that Jesus isn't interested in his own agenda, only in God's will. He's not interested in his own agenda, just God's will. This is good because God's will, he said, I have a plan for you not to, to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope in the future. We want Jesus to be interested in God's will. Verse, the, number four, verse 39. I shall lose nothing. Here's what he says. If you come to me, I'm going to accept all who come, and then when you come, I won't lose you. You'll be safe, and you'll have protection. Number five, verse 40. Everyone believes who believes may have everlasting life. The destiny, this is the fifth one, the destiny of those who believe is eternal life. That's a great benefit of the bread of life. But now Jesus gets more serious. And, and, and he's, he's talking about this issue, and they, they, they can't really take it. Verse 41, they start murmuring and complaining. Listen, the Jews complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. He's saying, I, I came from heaven. I, I, I came down from where God is down here. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it that he says, I, come, I have come down from heaven? You see... The people standing there, they thought they knew Jesus, but they didn't know Jesus. They thought they understood. They didn't understand. They say, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? What are they saying? They start rattling off his credentials. Isn't this Jesus, the son of a carpenter? He's not rich. He's not aristocratic. He's not wealthy. He's the son of a, of a carpenter, not even a, a large city carpenter. He's a carpenter from Nazareth. Nazareth wasn't the coolest place to be from. It was a city up in the hills, a small town. So he's a small town carpenter. J- Joseph was not uh, big at all. And Jesus is the son of him. So we, we know him. We know where he came from. We, we, we whipped him when he was being bad and we changed his diapers and all these things. Nothing more great than being the pastor and people start telling you about how they used to change your diapers. Not much greater than that. Um, that was sarcasm, in case you were wondering. No. Uh, so, so they start, then, they, then they're thinking, oh, well, your mother's Mary, and we remember you. We remember that suddenly Mary turned up pregnant. We're not exactly sure how, and, you know, Joseph married her, but it's this weird little situation that nobody can really get the straight of, and something about the Holy Spirit overshadowing her, but we don't even know what the Holy Spirit is, so we just think she's a little crazy. They thought they knew Jesus, but they didn't know him at all. They didn't know that he literally was the Son of God, and then therefore he was God himself. But this is the way the world works. The world thinks they know you. Turn to your neighbor and say, you don't know me. That was weak. Come on, say, you don't know me. The world can rattle off your credentials, all the things you've done and all the things you haven't done. All the mistakes you've made, all the places you've been, all the things that you did wrong. And they can tell you, you're this and you're that and you're this and you're that and you're not this and you can't be that. You can't have this and you can't have that. No, we know you. I know your mama and I know your daddy and I know your grandpa. They were all losers, so you're going to be a loser too. They all couldn't do it and neither can you. But they have failed to recognize the God that's living on the inside of you. And so they, they, they don't take that into account. They say, well, you can't do. You tell them your dreams. You can't do that. You tell them your vision. You can't do that. They don't know you. 
The world doesn't know you. They think they know, but they don't know because they can't always recognize that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is dwelling inside of you. And now when you read Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It says, okay, you don't know me because you don't realize I've got a God that has strengthened me to doing everything that I'm telling you that I'm going to do. Let's get back to the point now. Verse 48. Y'all got me all distracted. Verse 48. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. Here's what, remember, he's, he's creating this distinction. They ate bread. You ate bread when I fed you yesterday. But this bread doesn't last. This, this, it, it, it only satisfies for a moment. But watch what he says in the next verse. This bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. So you eat this bread and it gives you everlasting life. You don't have to die. <clears throat> Your fathers ate and died. You'll eat this bread of heaven and you won't die. He asked it, and then he takes it one step further. Verse 51, I am the living bread. Just in case you've forgotten, I am the living bread which came down from heaven If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Notice he says, you have to eat the bread. Now I have some bread here. And I want to open up. It's nice and warm. Oh yeah. I don't know if you're hungry yet. It's almost lunchtime. I've been here for a while this morning. Oh yeah, it's got butter all on it. That's nice. I'm going to eat a napkin, Ronnie. Now imagine with me, here's this bread, you're starving to death. Can you get a, can you get some? (laughs) Thank you. If you're hungry today, as I am, this bread can satisfy you. You could eat this bread and it would fill you up and you would feel really good. But what won't satisfy you, if I just take a picture of the bread... That won't help me. It won't help me if I just smell the bread. Now, there are times when we're on a fast and things that just smelling sugar, I'm telling you, it helps somehow. I'm not sure how. It won't satisfy you. You can look at it. But looking at it won't satisfy you. You can talk about it. Man, that's some good bread right there butter just out of the oven it's warm it's nice it's fresh came from the store this morning this is some nice bread not helping how many of you think that's helping not helping the only way for this bread to actually do you any good is that you have to eat it you actually have to break the bread and take a big old bite i just went country on you my son says big old everything I need some water. (laughs) That satisfies right there. If I had more time, I'd eat more. 
the only way for it to work and do you any good and get those benefits we talked about is that you actually have to eat the bread. You actually have to take a piece. You have to break it off. You have to eat the bread. Anybody want a piece? Pastor Dino, you want a piece? Get you some, get you some bread. You were looking at me with his eyes like you were hungry. Chris, you quit laughing. <laughs> Free meal. Yes, I'm in. Here's the deal. It's of no use to you until you eat it. And this is what Jesus said. You have to eat the bread. I'm the bread. You have to eat the bread. But then he's going to take it one step further. He just keeps pushing it. He just, he just keeps wearing on them, right? They're, they're with him. They're with him. They're, all of a sudden, they're not with him anymore. Because watch this. In that same verse, he says, he says uh, so if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. You'll get the benefits of it. And the bread that I shall give, watch this, is my flesh. They can't take it. They throw up their hands. That's it. I was, I was trying to stay with you, Jesus. Can't take it no more. They can't handle this. They, they, Jesus, I have to eat your flesh? Peter looks at John and said, you want some white meat or dark meat? <laughs> what, you, what you want? You want a shoulder? You want a wing? <laughs> you want a toe? You can chew on that for a while. What you want? Jesus says, yeah, you got to eat my flesh. Hey, what? 52. Verse 52. Who, how can this man, they don't even call him Jesus anymore. We're like, we're, we thought we knew him, now we're re- we do not. We thought he was a little weird, now we know this man's crazy. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? How's he going to do that? This makes no sense. What, what's going to happen here? How does this whole deal work? Jesus is saying, listen, the bread you eat is not the bread that I multiplied yesterday. The bread that you have to eat is my flesh. I'm no longer just Jesus as you thought I was, but I am Jesus, the very Son of God. I am Jesus. I am. I am ego am I. I am the God that is self-existent. But he's not done. Jesus isn't done. Watch this. Verse 53, he's going to push them even further. That wasn't up. Now, not only do you have to eat his flesh, watch this. Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. They can't, they're just, they're up in arms. Like, Jesus, are you serious? Verse 56, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Oh, so now when we drink your flesh and I can't, it's so weird, Jesus. I can't, I don't even know what you're talking about. Eat your flesh and drink your blood and now I can abide in you and you can abide in me. Like, I don't even understand this, Jesus. Yeah, I'm being serious. Verse 57. He even takes it a step further. When I'm reading this, and I'm like, Jesus, it's no wonder they ran away from you. Ran. I'm going to, verse 60, 61, 66, they do, watch. Here's what he says. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. Feeds on me, Jesus. Have you been watching the Discovery Channel with the lions feeding on the gazelle? 
This is the picture that I get. We're like, come on around, man. You want some life? We're going to eat. We're going to feed on Jesus for a while. What? They can't take it. No. Jesus has a crowd of thousands at this point. But it's too much for them. Verse 60, they said, this is a hard saying, Jesus. Verse 66, they left him. Many of them left him. As a matter of fact, he turned to his disciples and said, will you leave me too? Thank God Peter said, where would we go? Where, 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 where would we go, Jesus? Uh, you know, if you leave, we have, we have nowhere else to go to. You have the words of eternal life, so we're just going to stay. Even though somehow we've got to eat your flesh and drink your blood. I don't know. You know, it's easy from where we sit, knowing the rest of the story, to judge the disciples who walked away. Because if you've read the rest of the story, you know that Jesus is referring to the covenant, he's referring to the cross, and he's referring to the resurrection, and you know what he's referring to. We're going to get there in just a moment. But they don't know. They don't know anything about the cross. They don't even know anything about the resurrection. All they know is Jesus is standing there and he's saying, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. No thanks, I'm out. I was with you for the miracles. I was with you when you walked on water. I was with you when we were chasing you down looking for you. I was with you when you were casting out demons. But now, Jesus, I can't do this. I'm out. We walk away from Jesus even though we know the end of the story. So we can't judge them who walked away before they knew. We know about communion. We know about the cross. They didn't know all this yet. You see, it's easy to believe when we have and have faith when we're looking back at the cross. It's much harder to believe when we're looking forward to the unknown. It had to be a difficult day for those disciples to stand there and say, Jesus, I don't know what in the world you're talking about, but whatever you say, you have the words of eternal life. We're staying. That required some serious faith and some serious belief. And remember what Jesus told us. I'm not really in the miracle working business. I'm in the business of making people believe in me. So he said, I'm not doing a miracle for you today. I'm not going to give you bread and multiply, and I'm not going to feed you. But I'm going to give you something even better. See, you think that your body is hungry, but really what's hungry is your heart and your spirit is hungry. And I want to feed that. And when you get that bread of life in you, then you'll never hunger and you'll never thirst again. And you'll have eternal life. But it's hard to believe when you don't have the whole story. God speaks to us and he says, you're going to do this or you're going to do that. You're going to be healed or you're going to get a home. You're going to own your own business. Whatever God's word to you might have been and might be that you're hanging on. But God doesn't give us the whole picture. And he does it on purpose. Because remember, he's in the believing business. And so he gives you a piece of the picture, enough of the picture. He does some miracles along the way to sign, to point you to where he wants you to be so that you'll believe in him. That you'll have faith. The Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. And so his whole point is, listen, I'm going to show you a piece of the picture. I'm going to do some miracles along the way so that you'll believe 
in what I've promised you. You'll believe in who I am. You'll believe that I'm not just any person. I'm not just a prophet, but I am the great I am. And I'm going to do what I promised I would do for you. But it's hard to believe when you're looking into the unknown. It's hard to believe when, when you're looking into the fog and you're trying to get it all figured out. It's difficult to believe when Jesus is saying, I'm the bread of life, but you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And you don't understand. It requires faith. So we conclude the story. The disciples get their full understanding in Matthew, the 26th chapter, the 26th verse. We're going to close today. I want to read these scriptures, and then we'll close. And as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and he, he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples and said, Take and eat, for this is my body. And he took the cup, and he gave thanks, and he gave it to them, and saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is the blood of my new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day that when, when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. You see, the culmination of this whole sermon is on the night that Jesus was betrayed at the Passover meal what we refer to as communion when Jesus said now listen guys you wanted to know how we can you can eat my flesh I'm about to show you my body is literally going to be broken for you my blood is literally going to be shed for you and no, you're not going to eat my arm or my leg. But when you eat of this bread, it's symbolic of entering into a covenant with me. And taking a part of my suffering. Taking into you the blood of the new covenant that covers all of the sins. All of your sins. Past, present, and future. They're all covered under the blood. And he said, when you take all that in, you're entering into a covenant with me. And now, I abide in you. And you abide in me. This is one of the core pieces of a covenant that we're together. We're now one. Our ushers are bringing us some communion elements now. I'm going to ask them to move as quickly as possible. And once you have yours, will you stand with me?
For centuries, religion has been arguing about this issue. Is the, the bread actually become the body of Christ, or is it symbolic? Is the wine or the grape juice actually, is it symbolic, or is it actually the blood of Christ? Let me just say for the purposes of today, to leave that by the side, because we want to go to the heart and the issue of the covenant that we're making with Christ.